Well, before we begin our time in God's Word, I want to remind you that next week is supposed to be what we term Daylight Savings Time. But here at Wayside, we're calling this We Say When Sunday. And if you were not here last week, what that means is this. Instead of having y'all lose your hour before church and you show up sleepy and grumpy and all those other things that happen when you lose that hour before worship, well, not you, Charlotte, other people. Yeah. But what we're going to do is have you turn your clocks uh, after church. So leave them like they are. Now, if you're driven by your PDAs and your iPhones and all that type of, just ignore it. And if by chance you actually show up an hour early next week, we'll have coffee and donuts for you over in Hebrews. And uh, you can enjoy some fellowship with the uh, five other people who maybe forgot. Uh, but the rest of you, just wait to turn your clocks uh, after church. All right. Well, today we are uh, talking about worship. And uh, on the screen, you see a comic strip that I found years ago that I, I enjoyed. It shows two men meeting at church. It says, my name is Calvin Simons. And the other guy says, well, I'm J.J. Jamal. And he says, you come around here often? And he says, I guess you could call me a regular. I've been here a few times. I like the atmosphere. The music is great, and the people seem real friendly. He says, I'd come around more often if it weren't for the cover charge. Now, in the next frame, whoops, you see the usher standing there, and the other guy says, you mean the offering? And he says, whatever, with a big scowl on his face as he pulls a few dollars out of his wallet. What is the offering, and why do we do it? Is it really just a a thinly disguised cover charge, the price of admission to come in? Do you put a few dollars in the offering plate so that the the light bill can be paid, the preacher will be paid, and the show will go on next week? Or even worse, do you put money in the offering plate thinking that maybe it will help you get home to heaven, that you can maybe buy your ticket to heaven? Well, first of all, what I want to remind you is that salvation is a free gift of God. It was bought and paid for in full by Jesus Christ when he went to the cross as he shed his blood to wash away our sins, to pay the penalty of death that we owed. Salvation is free. You cannot buy it. It is given freely by God through his great grace and received through our faith. So if you're giving to receive the gift of life and you don't yet know Jesus is your Savior, what I want you to hear today is we don't want you to give. What we want you to do instead is receive, to receive that free gift of eternal life that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, maybe you're a believer, and as you give, you think uh, that maybe we we give to uh, pay that cover charge. But I want to remind you as well that the service is free. Now, it does take a lot of money to run a ministry like Wayside Chapel, to have the facilities, the staff, the missionaries that we support around the world. It takes a lot of money. But again, if you're giving uh, just because you think it's about meeting the budget, I don't want you to give. Because what giving is, what our offering is, is it's an act of worship, which is why we're talking about it. We're in this mini-series on what worship is. And as you think about what worship is, uh, I I know that some of you may be sitting here saying, you know, I I understand that, Roger, but I think you have ulterior motives. I mean, the church must be really behind if you're going to be talking about money today. Well, what I want you to understand that I can say with great thankfulness is that is not the case. The church right now is at 99.89% a budget of giving because of the faithfulness of God's people. 
So I'm not talking to you today about offering because we need the money. And what I want you to also understand is if we were at half of that, if we were running behind and we were in a huge deficit, I would not change a single word of what I'm saying to you today. Because we're not talking about giving to get something from you. We're talking about giving because we want you to get something. What we want you to get is not only God's view of what the offering is as a form of worship, but also to understand that it is a privilege that we who know Jesus Christ get to participate in, a way that we get to worship, a way that we get to honor God. As you remember from last week when we began talking about worship, we saw that the word literally means worthship. It denotes the worthiness of an individual to receive special honor in accordance with that worth. Now, we saw that that's demonstrated not just by our lips, the praise songs that we sing, but it's in all areas of our life. And as you look in your Bible today at 1 Chronicles chapter 16, I want you to look at 1 Chronicles 16, 29, because there it tells us, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, bring an offering and come before him, worship the Lord in holy array. As you look at this verse that we're talking about, it says that ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name and bring an offering. Now, when it says ascribe the glory due his name, it's what we've talked about, this worthiness of God. The, the word glory is the Hebrew word kavod. Kavod was a word that literally meant heaviness. And, and the picture, it was used at times of a soldier that was returning from battle where they had conquered a city. And they were loaded down literally carrying the loot. And as you saw the, the returning army, they were literally covered in glory, kavod. They were covered over in what they were carrying, the weightiness of, of what they were returning with. And so as, as we think of this, this picture of God being covered in glory, he's already covered in his glory. He doesn't need us, per se, to drop things on him. But when we worship him, that's what we're doing. We're adding to the glory. We're giving back to God, not just through our, our lips and our lives and the, the things that we bring but we're ascribing his worthiness. Now, when you see where it says to, to bring an offering and come before him, before I talk more about giving to him, I want to touch on that last part where it says, worship the Lord in holy array. If you were here last week, you'll recall that I said, sometimes uh, churches fight over what do you wear to church? And, and you may say, well, that says that we're to come in our best. But really the best translation of the Hebrew text here is found in the, the New International Version because what it says is, Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. You see, the focus is not on, on our garments, but it's on God's glory. As we worship him, again, we're seeing him for who he is. Do you remember that quote from Tozier that if we see Jesus accurately, we must respond appropriately? And this is what we find here is that we are worshiping God, understanding the glory of who he is. It's his glory, not our garments. If you look at the end of 1 Chronicles 15, which is setting the context for our passage here, you'll see in verse 27, King David laid aside his royal robes. He was wearing a, a plain linen ephod. This is the, the clothing that the priest would wear underneath. It was, it was literally like their underwear. And it's why, as, as uh, verse 29 tells us there, that when David's wife, Michael, saw the way David was dressed and how he danced before the Lord in worship, it says there that she despised him in her heart. She was embarrassed. She looked out and she saw her husband, the king, dancing around in this, this plain garment. 
But what she forgot is what we talked about last week, that worship is for an audience of one. David wasn't worried about what other people thought. David was worshiping freely, the Lord his God. In the passage we're looking at here in, verse, in uh, 1 Chronicles 16, the context is that the Ark of the Covenant was being brought into Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant that represented the presence of God had, it was being brought into the city, and there was this, this worship taking place. And this is a psalm of worship that we're reading about here. Now, again, if you go a little further back in Chronicles, what you find is in chapter 13, uh, the first attempt at bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the city had ended in disaster. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament uh, story here, you'll recall that what happened was they were bringing the Ark into the city, and they had not done the proper preparations for it. In in order just to make things easy on themselves and to expedite the process, they uh, they had gotten a cart that they put the Ark in. And they were wheeling it in with these, these oxen. And, and there was a man walking alongside the, the cart. And as it kind of hit a bump, it, it, it looked like it was going to fall out. And the, this man reached out to steady the ark. And as he touched it, it says that God struck him dead immediately. David was not only fearful, but he was angry that God had, had taken this life. But it wasn't God who had messed up. It was the people. Because God had given very specific instructions about how to treat the ark, which represented the holiness of God. He said people were not to touch it. The priests, you'll recall, were to put these long poles through these rings and they were to hand carry the ark. But they had not prepared themselves. They had not done what God had instructed. And the result was that a man lost his life. David, at that point, put the ark off in a, in a city and, and it was left there for many months. And, and now David and the people were finally ready to do things right to honor God the way that he should. And as they were bringing the ark in, there was this huge celebration. And 1 Chronicles 16 that we're looking at is this psalm of praise recording that event. As you look at the worship taking place in verse 40, it tells us the priests were instructed to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. And on the altar of burnt offering, continually morning and evening, even according to all that is written in the law of the Lord, which he commanded Israel. The law of the Lord prescribed a number of different offerings that were to be given to God. The first ones that we see mentioned here are the burnt offerings. The scriptures also speak of them as the guilt and the sin offerings. These were the things that when people committed sins, transgressions against God, they would come and they would offer various uh, sacrifices at the temple. And these were done to uh, shed, blood was shed. Hebrews tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And the people would offer these sacrifices. Now, they were only temporary coverings. Until Christ came, the offerings for sin did not remove the penalty, the transgression. It only was a temporary covering. Not only did it, as you think about the people bringing these offerings, it was costly. Because the person had to bring the best of their stock. They not only lost uh, the resource of the animal, the cost to buy the sacrifice, the, the resource of the animal that would be uh, the best of their breeding stock, that would multiply. There was this financial loss, a cost to the person. There, there was a cost of time. Many people live far from Jerusalem, and they would have to travel there, and so they would, they would have the time away from their, their home, their farm, their business. They would have the expense of traveling. Then they would uh, come into the temple 
And they would go through the multiple courtyards. And as they came in, people could look at you and figure out just about what was going on in your life by the type of offerings you were bringing. That could bring some embarrassment at times. So people could say, well, that's a lot of sin offering. You know, what's been going on in your life? And then the individual would come into the, the court where the, the brazen altar was. The priests were only allowed back there, but you would come up to a rail. And you would bring this offering, and, and the man would take, and if, he would, if it were a sheep or a goat type of offering, he would, he would hold the animal around the neck. And the priest would come with a basin, and he would slit the throat of the animal, and the blood would run out through the individual's hands. And as the person was standing there, they were reminded of the great cost of their sin because a life was being lost. Blood was being shed on their behalf. And as you stood there, not only did you deal uh, with that, but the altar that was in front of you was a massive altar. They could put several whole animals, carcasses, on this at a time. And if you've ever smelled burning flesh, some of these were whole offerings, the hair and the skin and the other things that were going, you you know that that it's, it's not the most pleasant smell. And so again, as you're, you're there in the presence, you're reminded of the costliness of your sin. What has cost you in your pocket, what has cost you in your time, and now as you look at the loss of life. You know, for us today as New Testament believers, I think sometimes we forget the costliness of our sin, don't we? Because we're able to come, and what the Scripture tells us is we don't have to bring an offering, a physical sacrifice anymore, because the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Jesus Christ, has been offered for us. And what we're told instead in 1 John 1, 9 is if we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sometimes we remember the costliness of our offering as we think of the Lamb of God who died for us. But many times, it's, it's something that the full weight we don't feel or bear. Now, all the offerings that were given were not just those like this, burnt, guilt, or sin offerings. There were good offerings as well. There were the thanksgiving offerings. These were the, the joyous offerings. They were the above and beyond normal tithes and first fruit type of offerings. It would be like somebody receiving a bonus, a raise, closing a a big business deal. And as a result, she said, I want to thank God. I want to give him an above and beyond gift to just thank him for what's going on in my life. There were many of these type of offerings that could be brought. Some were called uh, free will offerings. Jumping ahead here, you've got the free will offering. This was uh, a general thank you for the various things God had done. It was kind of a, I'm just glad I'm alive and you're God type of offering. It was just a, uh, a desire to say to God, thank you. There was a votive or a vow offering. These were given in response to a specific blessing or deliverance. This would be, if you'll let me pass this test, God, I'll do this for you type of offering. Have you ever made one of those bargains with God? Then there was the consecration offering. The consecration offering was a special offering where you set aside someone or something for service. In the Bible, we see where the priests were consecrated. And when, they were, when this event took place, it says that there were a series of special offerings that went with it. You know, one of the ways at Wayside that we um, see this type of offering is when we bring a child and we do a baby dedication. It's, it's a time where we're not giving a physical offering per se, but what we're doing is we're bringing the child up here with the parents. And, and we say to God, thank you for this great gift. We're dedicating the child and we're consecrating this baby. We're praying for its future. 
Now, when my wife and I went through many years of infertility, uh, we, if you've ever gone through infertility treatments, not only do you know the toll and the cost emotionally for you, but there's, there's a huge financial cost. And as we went through over a decade of infertility, it got very expensive trying to have children. And when God one day blessed us with our little girl, Sarah, after we had our, our first child and we were, we were given this great gift, my wife and I sat down and, and we said, you know, we want to give a special offering to God. It wasn't a bargain. We didn't make one of these bargains. God, if you'll do this, we'll do that for you. But after he gave us this gift of our, our baby, what we said is, let's take what we would have spent this next year trying to get pregnant. And we want to give that amount of money to a pregnancy resource center. And we gave it as a special above and beyond, a consecration offering saying, God, thank you for this gift of a child to us. And we want to help another baby or more babies have life through that gift. And that was, that was just a consecration type of offering we gave. Some of you in your own life have done something similar. You, you give a gift because you want to remember some great event. And uh, another offering that could be given is something called a cereal or meal offering. There were also what were termed the drink or libation offerings. These were offerings that were above and beyond. The, the meal offerings, the cereal offerings, were the special baked breads or cakes. It was the fine flour that would be brought to the temple. And so what would happen is they would, they would give this in addition to the, the, the animal sacrifice that was given. You would have these additional. You recall that the priest and the Levites were supported by the offerings of the people. And so there were times that a portion of the sacrifice given uh, would be set aside as the, the maintenance to, to care for the priest and the Levites. So some of these were set aside. The drinker libation offerings, which were the oil or wine offerings, and they would be poured out on top of what was being offered. You can think of it as like biscuits and gravy as you think of these kind of offerings. It was a special above and beyond. Now, uh, sometimes it was given in containers to be used by the priest or staples to support them. Now, as you think about a libation offering, I, I think of my days when I was a policeman in Dallas, and when I worked the central business district where we had some homeless shelters, and a lot of the uh, street people would be, um, you know, panhandling, and they'd go and get the money, and they'd go over to these corner liquor stores, and they'd get these 40-ounce bottles of uh, Ripple wine or cheap malt liquor, and they'd go around the corner, and I'd watch them give a libation offering, because as they cracked the, the bottle, they'd kind of pour a drop or two out on the thing, you know, and they'd say, you know, this is kind of like a thank you for what they just got. Now, you could tell when it was really tough times where they were, were not getting a lot of money because they'd skip the libation offering, right? And I wonder how many of us are a little bit like that. You know, when, when you think of a libation offering, they didn't just give God a drop or a two. What they did was literally pour out the whole jug or they handed over the whole container to the priest and they said, this is an offering to God. And it wasn't just some cheap malt liquor. It was the finest of their produce. It was the finest of their harvest as they gave things over. But it wasn't something that they held back even when times were tough. They gave the first fruits. Now, as you think about giving to God, in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Paul gives us this instruction. He says, let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful is holismos. It's where we get our word hilarious. It literally means uh, to be a hilarious giver. Now, it's not a foolishness where you get yourself into trouble by how much you give. 
But it is a joyful abandonment where you don't sit there and say, you know, I don't think I can afford this. Remember, it's what you've purposed in your heart. Have you made a vow? Have you made a commitment to God? And if so, are you following through? Are you paying your commitment? An example of a hilarious giver were were those in 2 Corinthians 8, which were called the Macedonians. There Paul said they gave more than they could. They gave above and beyond their, their ability. And as they did so, they didn't cry or complain, but they did it with joy because they had the right heart that accompanied the offering. It says they first committed themselves and then they committed their resources to the Lord. Are you somebody who's joyful when you give to God? Are you like the guy we saw in the comic strip that has a scowl when the offering plate passes and you give? As I mentioned before, if that's how you feel about giving to God's work here, then don't give. And I really mean that. If you don't want to give to God's work here at Wayside and what he is doing in and through this church, then keep your money. God will meet the needs of this ministry through others. When you give to God, we don't want something from you. As I said before, we want something for you, which is to experience that joy that comes as you truly come in worship, as you truly give to God, as a thank you, as an abundant offering for all that he's given, rather than an obligation. Charles Ryrie wrote a book called Balancing the Christian Life, and this is what he says. How we use our money demonstrates the reality of our love for God. In some ways, it proves our love more conclusively than the depth of knowledge, the length of our prayers, or the prominence of our service. These things can be feigned, but the use of our possessions shows us for what we really are. As you look at the gifts, the abilities, the resources that God has given to you, do you give them freely to God? Do you share those in worship? Our giving can be the sharing of our time, our talents, as well as our treasures. Now, as you think about sharing these things, in the temple times, they brought them as a physical offering. Now, as I said, we thankfully don't have to offer physical sacrifices anymore. So the way that we bring offerings, and the way they did in that day as well, was sometimes through a cash uh, offering. They would give money. You would see those things happening in the temple. And there are many in our day who bring uh, checks or cash. And when the offering plate is passed... People give that. Now, what I hear from people sometimes is, you know, Roger, I sit seven, eight rows back, and the plate is empty when it gets to me. How is this church doing? Because nobody else is giving here. Well, in our day, less and less people carry cash and checks. More and more people give electronically. You can give through uh, bill pay type features. You can give through uh, monthly deductions. Those of us who are on staff can give through a payroll deduction. So not everybody is giving through the traditional method of a cash or a check. In fact, if you turn your bulletin over, you'll see a line that says ways to give at Wayside. And there's this kind of a fancy looking thing there. Some of you will recognize that as what's called a QRC code. And if you have one of those apps on your phone that you can scan it, what it'll do through the magic of technology is it'll take you to our website to this page. And what you'll see is that it gives you the ability to see different ways to give at Wayside. One is through cash or check, like some of you give. Others are through online giving. You've set up uh, your My Wayside accounts. This gives you access to databases and other things, including the ability to give through electronic means. You can set up an automatic bank uh, transfer, just like you do with some of your bill pays and other things. And there are two features that are, that are soon to be coming. We're not going to give you an exact date, but it'll be somewhere before the summer. 
the kiosks that you see in the foyer, you're going to be able to give electronically through, through there, through debit cards or other features if you want to do that. And then with your mobile phones, many of you are now using your phones for Bible study. As I see you looking at your, uh, not emails and texting and Facebook Sunday, I know what you're looking at is your online Bible. Well, you'll be able during the offering to literally give through your iPhone, through your uh, Galaxy, through whatever smartphone you have. And so this will be through an app that you'll be able to download and be able to use. So there are many ways that we can give, just as they did in the Old Testament times. However you give, and as you look on this, this webpage, you'll find some of you give through stocks. Some of you even give estate gifts. So there's a lasting legacy that continues after you've gone on because you say, I want to continue to allow this, this church to be used by God through the gifts that have been given. So if you go to that webpage, you'll be able to find other things, other ways to give. But however you give, 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, let each one do just as he is purposed in his heart. That means it's not a split decision. Sit down and talk about it, pray about it. When it comes to giving with my family, we've sat around the table and we've discussed it with our kids because they don't see us putting an offering in the offering plate week in and week out. We let them know this is how mommy and daddy give to Wayside through payroll deduction. And this is why we give and how much we give. Another type of offering was called the wave or heave offering. Now, I saw one of these uh, shyster type of TV preachers trying to uh, explain the the wave offering. And what he said is, I want those of you who are gathered today to take the money out of your person wallet. Take everything out. Let's, let's show everybody how blessed God has made you. So there's this kind of crowd of people, and the camera's panning the audience, and everybody's waving their money. And he's saying, that's right, that's that wave offering. Wave those 20s, those 50s, those 100s before the Lord. And as, as everybody was doing it, as they all got their money out and they were, you know, emptying their pockets and purses and showing everybody how blessed God had made them, suddenly he shouted, Hallelujah! And that was a a signal for the ushers to suddenly descend upon the crowd because they had these kind of big buckets. And then he said, and now I want you to put that that offering to Jesus in the plate. Now, they were kind of busted, right? They couldn't go, uh, put that away. And so what the guy should have yelled was not hallelujah, but this is a holdup. Because that's not what a wave offering is. Now, I, I want all of you to take your money out of your purse or wallet and wave it before the Lord. No, I'm not going to do that. Some of you already think we take a wave offering on Sunday. As the plate is passed and you wave goodbye to your money as it goes by. But what a wave offering was, was an understanding again of where our resources come from. You see, what would happen is you would come and you would present your offering to the Lord. And the priest would take this from you. And what he would do is he would literally wave or heave the offering like this. And what he was doing is saying, what we have comes from the Lord, and he has given it to us, and it is to be used for his glory here. You see what he was doing? What we have comes from God and is given to us to be used for his glory here on earth. And so this was a wave or a heave offering. An example of this is what we saw last week in Numbers eight twenty one, where it said the Levites... To purify themselves from sin and wash their clothes, and Aaron presented them what? As a wave offering before the Lord. The people. God said, The priests and Levites, the ones who are serving here in the temple, have been given by God for the purpose of serving the people. They were a wave offering before God. 
As you think about your own life, what has God given to you? Do you recognize that all that you have has come from God to you? And then do you give it back to God, and then do you allow it to be used for his glory here on earth? As you think about how you give to God, I I think of the story of three men who were talking about uh, giving to God. And one of them said, brothers, this is how I decide what I will give to the Lord. He said, I take and I draw a circle, and then I step into the middle of it. And I take all of my money and I throw it in the air. And whatever lands inside the circle belongs to God, and whatever is outside of the circle belongs to me. And the second man listening said, that's amazing because that's how I too decide how to give. You see, I also draw a circle and I step into the middle of it, and I throw all my money in the air. However, I give to God what lands outside of the circle. And the third man said, brothers, I give the same way. I draw a circle and I step into the middle of it and I throw all my money in the air and whatever God catches is his and the rest is mine. How do you give? How do you decide? Now, some of you are sitting here this morning saying, Roger, I already know how we're supposed to give because what the Bible tells us is we're supposed to tithe, right? And the reason that it's called a tithe is because it means a tenth. It's a word that means a tenth. And so some people say, well, I give a tenth of all that I have. Now, it's funny, I have people who come to me and they say, Roger, am I supposed to give 10% on net or gross? Is that before or after taxes? And it's a little bit like the Pharisees, and and I'm not saying that's their heart, but isn't that what they did? They came and they said to Jesus, we tithe. And Jesus, we are so righteous, we tithe everything. They, they, they even, you'll remember, tied their spices. So it'd be like pouring out your salt shaker and counting out 10 grains of salt and saying, this one's God's, these nine are mine, the next nine, one for God. And this is what they did. And they thought that Jesus would say to them, you men are so righteous. But instead he said, you're hypocrites. Why did Jesus call them hypocrites? Because their heart was not in it. They were legalistic. They were saying, we will give because we have to. They were not giving as an act of worship. It was ritual. It was prideful performance. You'll recall last time we saw that true worship is not about rules or ritual. It's about a relationship. And true worship involves our head and our heart. And what it means is we come to understand here the truth of what God says. And as we allow our heart to be those who abandon in cheerful giving then our worship will overflow, and that's how we give. If the offerings you give to God are based on a rule of counting out 10%, you are missing the mark at several levels. First of all, I want to tell you that if you want to be a legalist, you're missing the mark because 10% is not what the Scripture says you are to give. In the Scriptures, what you find is the tithe. Then you find also the temple tax, the welfare offering, and special and festival offerings which equated to 23 to 28% of your income. Now, this is in addition to all the previous offerings, your sin and guilt, your burnt offerings, your thanksgiving, your vow, your vote of all these other offerings. So this could easily go into a third or more of your income. Suddenly you're saying, you know what, Roger, I kind of like that 10%. Can we go back to that? Now, aside from lacking a joyful heart in what you're doing, if you're trying to base it simply upon Uh, on, on this legalism, you're missing it. Because remember, true worship, which is what giving is, 
is based upon your heart. It's based upon an overflowing relationship, a response of gratitude to God. There was a man who was talking to his pastor one day about giving, and he said, you know, I used to give God 10% of everything I made. And he said, but now I make so much money, I can't afford to give 10% anymore to God. And the pastor said, brother, I understand the burden, so let's pray right now that God will reduce your income back to what it was originally. How many of us want our income to be based upon the way that we give to God? Is that truly the way that we want to give? Now, if you think I'm trying to guilt you into giving 10%, I'm not. Remember, what we're talking about today is worship. What I want for you is to understand what type of true response you're to have to God. A joyful, overflowing response to God. When it comes to the tithe, this 10%, it's a standard that comes from true worship. If you want to understand that, what you can do is look in the scriptures at two passages. One is in Genesis chapter 14, and we find the description of what is going on there in Hebrews chapter 7. Because in Hebrews chapter 7, what we find here in Genesis 14, you'll recall Abraham had just defeated uh, an army. His, his nephew Lot had been carried away. He went out and he attacked these people. He not only rescued Lot and returned the stolen property, but he gained a lot of loot. And as he was returning home, he encountered a man by the name of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek was a, a special person. This is what Hebrews 7, 1 through 5 tells us. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, Salem means peace, and today we call Jerusalem, which is the place of this. He was the king of Jerusalem, the king of peace. It says, for Melchizedek, the king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings, and he blessed him, to whom also Abraham appointed a tenth, a tithe, a tenth part of all the spoils. Why? It says, was first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then the king of Salem, which is the king of peace. Now listen to this description of this person. He was without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the son of God. He abides a priest perpetually. Now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the choicest spoils. And those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest office have a commandment of the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although these are descended from Abraham. Now, notice that, first of all, Abraham is called the patriarch. And if you look throughout history, both the Jews and the Arabs have honored Abraham, pointing to him as the father of their faith. He is a high and revered person, yet as honored as he is, verse 4 says, Abraham saw someone as being greater and worthy of honor than he himself was. Melchizedek is described in ways that point to the coming Messiah. He was a representative of God. He was without beginning of days nor end of life. He was made like the Son of God. He was the king of Salem, and he had the dual role of priest and king. There's only one, Jesus Christ, who is both priest and king. There's only one who is like Melchizedek. This guy was the forerunner. And when Abraham gave 10%, he was worshiping. Why was he worshiping? Because the giving of a tithe is the biblical standard that shows another is greater than you are. And you are acknowledging that with your gifts. Friends, when we give a tithe, 
It is worship. It is our way of saying to God, you are greater than we are. We acknowledge that by the gifts that we bring to you. In Hebrews 7, 7, it says, but without any dispute, the lesser we are blessed by the greater. Now, so as you're sitting here today, you may be saying, Roger, what's the bottom line? Put the cookies on the bottom shelf. Tell me what I need to do. How much do I need to give? Well, here's what you need to give to God. Give your heart. Because what Matthew 6.21 tells us is where your treasure is, your heart will also be there. And if you want to know what to give to God, you give your heart. And everything else will take care of itself. You see, giving to God is not to be some legalistic thing where we say, is it 10%? Is it 29? Is it 35? What do we need to give to God? We give our heart. When it comes to giving in my household, the way that we determine it is my wife and I sit down, and the first thing we do is we give the first 10% to God. And the reason we give 10% to God right off the top through payroll deduction is because we understand what a biblical tithe is. Now, we're not being legalistic. What we're saying to God is this is our way of acknowledging your greatness. And so the first 10% of our income goes right back to Wayside Chapel because we believe in what God is doing in and through this church. Now, as I said, we're not legalistic. We're not basing it only on that. In fact, we don't let the tithe limit how we give. Because then what we do is we give additional gifts. And again, I'm not sharing this to brag. I'm only sharing this to be transparent. I would be wrong to talk about giving if you're sitting there saying, yeah, but what do you do? As a priest, I still have a responsibility to worship God in my home and to lead my family. And so what we do is we give the first 10% back to Wayside, and then we give additional gifts to Dallas Theological Seminary because that's where I was trained. I believe in what that institution does. I believe in the men and women they are training today for ministry. So we give additional gifts Uh, outside to Dallas Seminary. And then we believe in missions. We not only support missions here at Wayside Chapel through the giving, the general fund is how we support missions at this church. We then have other friends in ministry, and we believe in the work that they are doing. We believe in organizations like Jews for Jesus that have a wonderful outreach into the Jewish community as well as Gentiles. So we give to them as an organization. We give to individuals. And then we give additional, sometimes special offerings, like the consecration offering. We sometimes say, you know, there is a a project that comes along, a person going on a trip, something that we believe in and we want to give to. And so we give additionally to that. You see, friends, giving and worship is not about limiting yourself to some legalistic thing or being uh, to the point where you give away everything and you're in trouble. That's not responsible as well. So what you do is you purpose in your heart, what will you do? You as an individual, you as a family, need to sit down and prayerfully consider what do you do with what God has blessed you with? And then give. And then if you're a parent, talk to your children and explain to them. We're training and teaching our children to give to God. We want them now to understand how to give to God at a very early age. John D. Rockefeller said if he did not tithe on the first Uh, money that he ever got as a young boy, he never would have continued to tithe after he became a multimillionaire. You begin to train your children at an early age. You teach them what true giving is. It is about worship. Friends, we don't give to be blessed. We give because we are blessed. We've already been blessed. As you consider what we've talked about today and how to respond, let me end with this story before we come to the communion table. 
as we come to this story, it's, it's something that happened about uh, seven years ago. I was out on a daddy-daughter date with my daughter, Sarah. She was about five at the time, and, and she wanted to go to McDonald's. So we're sitting at McDonald's, and it's just she and I, and uh, we, we got, you know, a drink and some French fries. Now, I got one of those extra-large fries because I figured Sarah and I could just share it. And so we sit down at the table, and I, and I pour out these French fries in front of this five-year-old, and her eyes are real big. There's all these, you know, great golden fries sitting there. And uh, she's starting to shove them in her mouth. And at some point, I reached across the table to, to get a few fries. Well, at that moment, she slipped her little hand across and blocked me, right? <laughs> and she said, those are mine. <laughs> now, I'm sitting there, you know, looking at my daughter. And, and my first reaction is, no, those are mine. <laughs> I bought them, Right? And what I wanted to say to her is, you know, Sarah, if you'll just share those with me, I have enough money to go buy more fries if we eat all these. You know, I, I, I can get you more if you want them. And, and then the, the second thought that I thought about was, you know what? Why am I even going to try to reason with her? I'm bigger than she is. I can just take <laughs> the fries, right? I can just take all I want. But instead, what I did was I just I sat back, I crossed my arms, and I watched her hoarding these fries. I mean, just shoving as many as she could into her little mouth as she's looking up at me. And, and after a little while, Sarah kind of looking at Daddy sitting there with no fries, looking at the pile in front of her, sweetly said to me, Daddy, you can have some of my fries. Friends, I wonder how many of us look like that to God. How many of us have been blessed by God and we look at this pile of stuff in front of us and what we do is we kind of slip our hand in front of it and we say to God, it's mine. Forgetting that God is the one who gave it to us. And forgetting that God could take everything in front of us and replace it many times over because he has all, all the resources in the world. And we sometimes forget that he's big enough that he could just reach down and take it from us if he wanted anyway, right? But instead what God does is he patiently sits back and he looks at us as his little children waiting for us to share what he has blessed us with. Friends, as you think about your life today and what God has given to you, and we think about what worship is, what God wants from you is your heart and everything else will follow. At this point, we're going to come to the communion table. We're going to remember how blessed we've been as we take communion to remember what God has given to us through the great gift of his son. We're coming to honor God and to thank him for the great gift of new life that was bought and paid for through the sacrifice of his son. And as we come to the communion table and we see the bread before us and the cup representing his blood, I want you to remember that Today, we don't have to offer a physical sacrifice. That we don't have to bring animals in here that have to shed their blood to remove the penalty of sin because the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, has taken away the penalty of sin. If you're here today and you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, I invite you to come to him, to say to God, I'm a sinner, and today, Jesus, I'm accepting you as my Savior. 
take the bread representing his body, the cup representing his blood, and hold it and say, Jesus, I know this is what took away my sins, and today I'm accepting you to be my Savior if you've never done so. And for the rest of us who have taken that step of faith, take and look at what God has given to you, the greatest gift, the gift of his Son that he gave freely, and worship him, thank him for that gift. Hold these elements, and in a moment we'll take them together. If you're a believer in Christ, we welcome you to this table. You don't have to be a member of Wayside, just one who knows the Lord. Men, will you serve us, please?
as you think about the offerings that were brought to the temple and the priests who were there that would take and receive these offerings, or the high priest who would go behind the veil once a year with the, the blood to be uh, offered on the, the mercy seat, the covering of the Ark of the Covenant that was there behind the Holy of Holies. Friends, today we don't have to go through a priest. Today we don't have to bring a sacrifice, a physical offering here to church. Because not only has Jesus Christ come and become our permanent and perfect sacrifice, but each and every one of you here today is a priest. The scripture says that we are a priesthood of believers. Each of you are individuals who can come before God individually. And each of you are to come before God individually with your sacrifices, with your offerings, offering him praise and worship for who he is and what he's done. So as you hold in your hand this piece of bread representing the body of Christ, think about the perfect sacrifice that it was, the cost to God, what it took for him to save us. Thank him for it and eat it in remembrance of him. We hold this cup of juice representing the blood of the lamb. The one in John one twenty nine who was said to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As you take and you hold this cup, I want you to, to think about, again, what that was. What that sacrifice was that was given for us that, that removed our sin as far as the east is from the west and what God has done for you and me today through his son. And then thank him for his great gift, his great gift of new life as you worship him. The blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, drink it in remembrance of him. We join me, please, as we close in worship. Lord God, we thank you that we can come before you and offer up to you our lives, all that we are and all that we have, as a way to say thank you as a way to acknowledge that we, the lesser, have been blessed by you, the greater. And we thank you that, God, you who were in heaven were willing to come to earth to give your life to die for us. And so, Lord Jesus, we give for you today our lives anew. All that we have, all that we are, we share with you. Would you send us into the world now, Lord, to share the good news of who you are and what you've done for them so that others could come to know and worship you, Jesus Christ, the one that we know and love today. It's in your precious name that we pray and thank you. Amen. The prayer leaders here at the front, if you have a need in your life this week, go in peace to love and serve the Lord.